Church, y'all didn't know Chris was such a troublemaker, did you? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it's amazing the, the things that the Lord will teach us during uh, difficult and challenging times, and oftentimes that's the reason that, uh, as her and Shannon sang there, Lord, that I'll, you are my God and I will trust in you alone. And um, I'm proud of how my wife weathered that storm and came out trusting all the more in her Lord and uh, being a light for him. So praise God. Well, if you're here today, and I see there are quite a few less familiar faces, and maybe you've not been here before when Pastor Bill has entered the pulpit and preached a message, I would really encourage you to come back and hear him preach. God has gifted him, and, and it really is the Lord that has gifted him with an ability to open up the Word of God and to share in a very simple way, but yet in a very profound way, uh, what he has for us. So if, if you're here today and you've never been here while, while Pastor Bill shared the message, please come back. And I am I'm thankful for this opportunity. I'm thankful that, uh, that Pastor Bill did not take hours, and it really is hours and hours. Many of you think maybe Pastor Bill just comes up here and he opens the Bible and he brings forth a message because he makes it seem so easy and smooth, but it really is hours and hours of study and preparation to do that. So I am thankful that he did not take hours and hours out of his family's vacation to prepare messages for this morning, but to have the confidence to pass the baton to me. So I am I'm thankful for that. But again, we asked you to pray for Pastor Bill and his family last week. I think many of you did, and it sounds like they had a phenomenal week of rest and relaxation and re-energization and, you know, all the things that uh, vacations are supposed to accomplish. Amen. Well, open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Pastor Bill had been teaching a series, uh, preaching a series on the life of Solomon over the last several weeks, kind of intermingling in between missions conference and and so forth. So I decided to continue that this morning with kind of maybe the end of the story with Solomon. And the book of Ecclesiastes captures much of his concluding thoughts in life as he has lived a rather interesting life, as we've looked at in some of our previous messages. But have you ever desired to know the answer to life's most difficult question? That's what I'm going to try and set out to accomplish this morning. Actually, this morning and this evening, because I am extending the morning message into the evening message as well. But I'm going to try and do that this morning in 30 minutes, and we're going to come back tonight and look at it a little bit more detail. But so actually, that's the, that's the challenge, is decide now. Decide this moment that I'm going to come back tonight to hear the rest of the story. It's one of the challenges, or one of the, I guess one of the, the, uh, the clues that I've learned over many years ago is deciding ahead of time to do something so that in the moment, based on the circumstances or based on how I feel, I don't have to re-decide that. That's already been settled. So decide this afternoon or this morning to do that. So here's the question, life's most important question. What is the secret to true joy and to total and lasting permanent satisfaction in life? The secret to true, true joy and total, complete, permanent, lasting satisfaction in life. Do you know the answer? Do you know the answer to that question? Today's scripture passage details Solomon's pursuit 
to the answer of that somewhat evasive question for many people in our world today. Some have said the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon's memoirs as he looks back on his life and he's trying to come to a conclusion of what it all means, what the purpose of everything is, Solomon pens these words. So we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 this morning. We're going to look at chapter 2 this evening. But I want to start this morning in the final chapter and to look at two verses. So chapter 12. Let me ask you to stand to your feet. We've been sitting the whole service up to this point just to kind of get your bodies moving again, get the blood pumping Get yourself into a place where you're alert and ready to hear what the Lord may speak to you. And so for many of us, this is a very familiar verse, a familiar book. Maybe you've looked at it and looked for answers for your own life in here. But here, how, here's how Solomon concludes this book that, again, has been identified as his memoirs. Verse 13 of chapter 12, the Bible says this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The conclusion of the whole matter, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. This morning I want to talk to you about, and this evening, about life under the sun. Life under the sun. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house this morning. Thank you for your word that you have preserved for us for all eternity that we can go to it to find answers to life's questions, including the most difficult and challenging questions that we are faced with. So, Lord, may you move freely among us this morning. May your will be accomplished in each of our lives. If there's something that you're specifically trying to accomplish in my life or the life of anyone here this morning, uh, may you do that. May May we be open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit that we may be able to accomplish what it is you would have us to do and be able to answer with confidence that question that is life's most difficult, as well as to live it out. Father, we love you. We ask your blessing upon this time now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As I mentioned, Pastor Bill has led us through a recent study of the life of Solomon, and what a life of contrasts it has been. Solomon had a great start, didn't he? Finding himself with the overwhelming task of governing a massive nation, he finds himself wanting. His father had passed away, and the mantle had been passed on to Solomon. And Solomon is trying to figure out, how am I going to accomplish this seemingly impossible task? And so God comes to him and basically allows him to ask whatever he wants. And Solomon, in humility, asked for wisdom. He could have asked for anything, and yet he asked for wisdom. He knew that he did not have the ability to do, uh, accomplish the task that was set before him. And so God grants him wisdom. So much so that the Bible says there's never been anyone before Solomon or after Solomon that had the amount of wisdom that he had. And so Solomon had a great start. But what began as a great start soon went off the rails, so to speak. His character and his spiritual commitment declined primarily for one reason, and that was evil associations. You see, Solomon married unbelieving women from other nations. And these women, when I say unbelieving, they were, they, were, they were pagans. They worshiped other gods where they bowed themselves down to idols. And those women soon led him astray, and he turned his heart away from the one true God. Now, from a political standpoint, someone could say, well, Solomon was just being very savvy here. 
In fact, most of the marriages that, that he entered into were some sort of political arrangement. But again, we're talking hundreds here, 700 wives we know from history that, that Solomon had. But he entered into many of those marriages in order to secure peace from the surrounding nations. So some could say, well, he was just being politically savvy there. But they were in direct violation to God's word and what God would have him to do. And so here's a lesson for us. And I think we know this. We've probably lived it out. But it is impossible for any person, no matter how mentally or spiritually strong you are, to continually associate with worldly and wicked people and not be influenced by them. It's not possible. You know, my mom used to preach that to me when I was a teenager, and I did not like that message. But, you know, she was right. She was right. I remember telling my mom over and over, Mom, you can't choose my friends for me. But she, she continually warned me about that. Eventually, they will lead us astray. And they led Solomon astray. So Solomon had many issues that became apparent. We've looked at some of these as Pastor Bill led us through that study. We don't have time to go back and rehash a lot of those, but I encourage you to go back and listen to the messages that have already been preached on this, on this uh, series. One of the great things about our, our website is, and our technology we have is you can find these messages anywhere and everywhere on the Internet. You can go to our church's website, and every message that's been preached from this pulpit is stored there. You can watch them over and over again. You can listen to them when, you, when you're on your lunch break at work and so forth. But uh, there are numerous issues in the life of Solomon that he struggled with that led him into an ever-deepening and darkening downward spiral away from the Lord. We see that Solomon was infatuated with sex. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, 1,000 women. And uh, that became a huge, major problem for him. He was consumed with what, the, what other nations around him thought of him. And so he was trying to impress them, and he was trying to, again, build these relationships with him, uh, nations that were not godly, nations that were pagan. He began to trust in his own abilities as opposed to trusting in God. He instituted forced labor among the Israelites. He cheated his friends. He even condoned and practiced idolatry himself. It was a very sad downward spiral indeed. So now we come to the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 1. Many believe that Solomon wrote this book near the end of his life, after he had come back to the Lord, repented of many of the sins that were present, and come back to the Lord to serve him. And this book is him fessing up to all of the meaning, meaningless pursuits that he gave himself to in, in the life that he lived, and wanting to pass on the lessons that he had learned and the wisdom that he had to share about what life, what life is really all about, so others would avoid some of the same pitfalls that he made. So as we tackle this first chapter here this morning, I want to quickly define a couple of phrases that are very prominent here, a couple of words that appear over and over that we'll be looking at in more detail. First off, we'll see the word vanity, or the phrase vanity of vanities. It appears numerous times in the book of Ecclesiastes, especially uh, chapter one here. When we think of that word today, we, we tend to define that word as meaning pride, or conceit, or maybe a... Uh, over-exaggerated view of oneself. But the word, as we use it in our, in our passage here today, simply speaks of something being meaningless, futile, like a chasing after the wind. And so we see vanity of vanity. So when Solomon says all was vanity, he's saying it was meaningless. It was like grasping after the wind, like it was futile. And then we also see this phrase, under the sun. 
Phrase, the phrase under the sun appears 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Under the sun means looking at things from a purely human perspective and not taking God into account at all. And so Solomon talks about what life is like under the sun. From a human perspective, life lived apart from God is vanity, meaningless, pointless, futile. Nothing makes sense. And life is empty. So that's encouraging, right? (laughs) Well, stick with me because life under the sun is empty, but life above the sun is full and complete and amazing and full of joy. So let's look at our passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? So I want to look at a couple of points here this morning, two this morning with some applications, and two this evening we'll look at. And here's the first point that Solomon is going to make in these next verses that we're going to look at, and it's this. Under the sun, the cycles of life lead to futility. Under the sun, again, life lived from a fully human perspective without taking God into perspective. Under the sun, the cycles of life lead to futility. They're pointless, useless. So let's look at beginning in verse 4. It says, One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also riseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to its place wherewith he rose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about to the north, that whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All these things are full of labor, man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done, is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything wherewith that may be said, see this is new? It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things which are to come with those that shall come after. So Solomon sounds defeated here as you read this chapter, but he's sharing his heart. And uh, a man who voraciously pursued everything in an effort to find meaning and purpose and lasting joy has come up empty. And he wants you to know that. And he wants me to know that this morning. So Solomon gives examples here in this first few verses of chapter 1 to prove his point that all cycles of life lead to futility. Verse 4, the Bible says, One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. He's, going to say, he's saying generations come and go, and life goes on. Generations come and go, and life goes on. Verse 5, The sun also riseth, the sun goeth down, and hasteneth to his place, where he rose. The wind goeth toward the south, turneth about into the north, it whirleth about continually, and the wind uh, returneth it again according to his circuits. It says, when you observe nature, when you look at things, there's, life is an endless cycle. Day after day, winds and rains come and go, rivers flow, the sun rises, the sun sets, uh, you name it, it goes on in endless cycles. You know, it's interesting as I was reading through this verse and living life out this past week, that verse where it says, the wind goeth toward the south, turneth about to the north, it whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again 
according to his circuits. Anyone try to rake leaves this weekend? <laughs> I spent hours on Friday out in our parking lot trying to clear all the leaves off. And it was amazing how in about a period of 30 seconds, the wind blows in every imaginable direction. And you're trying to work with the wind. You're trying to cooperate, the, cooperate with the wind to help move the leaves. And uh, one direction would be blown to the north and then to the east and to the west and the south. And it's like, this is a futile activity. But so it just it kind of came to life as I was going through that this morning. And then yesterday is another story with the 50 and 60 and 70 mile an hour winds that seem to be depositing all my neighbor's leaves in my backyard, which is a true joy as well. But, uh, you know, Solomon's making this point here that, you know, these cycles go on and on and on and nothing ever changes. So he concludes in verse 9, the thing that hath been is that which shall be and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. And so he, he doesn't mean here that there are no new inventions, there are no new discoveries, there's nothing new in technology that is discovered. I mean, those things are continuing at lightning speed. His point is that there, there are no basic changes in life. Every generation struggles with the same problems. He was trying to, to maybe change that cycle himself and with his wisdom and his resources, and he finds that he can't. It just... Everything continues to go on. So the struggles that Adam had, the struggles that Abraham had, that Moses had, that Solomon had, that King David had, that the Apostle Paul had, that all those that we can name before us, they're essentially the same struggles. Even though this was written thousands of years ago, all the struggles that we face as human beings are the same. That's why today I can use the Word of God as a counseling book, because the answers to life and godliness are found right in this Word. I don't need something new that was discovered 10 years ago to finally find the answers of why we struggle with things. They're found in the Word of God. Well, you you hear these things, you say, well, well, Steve, what about the gospel? What about the power of God to change these things, these cycles that sometimes we find ourselves going through? What about faith and service to the Lord? It's not cyclical and it's not meaningless. And I would say yes to that, amen to that. That's right, and that's the point, above the sun, living life according as God designed it to be lived. Uh, For believers, we know the rest of the story. We know the big picture. But apart from divine revelation, the cycles of life will lead to futility when we leave God out, when we try to do things our way. And Solomon discovered this through many mistakes and many missteps, and he wants us to know about it. Under the sun, uh, the cycles of life lead to futility. Number two, under the sun, human wisdom and knowledge lead to futility. Under the sun, human wisdom and knowledge lead to futility. Let's continue on in verse 12. Solomon said, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things which are done under heaven. This sort of veil hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. That which is wanting cannot be numbered. I commune with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and I've gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience with, of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. 
So again, we see the, this phrase in verse 14, kind of a, a new phrase, similar to this idea of vanity of vanities. He speaks of a vexation of spirit. The Hebrew word vexation here speaks of the idea of grasping. And the word for spirit here is wind, grasping the wind. And uh, that's kind of what I was trying to do, as I mentioned on Friday. I was trying to grasp the wind to move these leaves to the north so to be out of the parking lot and out of our way. And I was trying to do that yesterday at my house to get all these leaves picked up. But Solomon says as we do these things, it's like grasping after the wind, chasing after the wind. And again, that's, unless you're trying to fly a kite or sail a boat, you know how incredibly difficult it is to try and grasp the wind. It's a, an exercise in futility. Again, that's how I felt yesterday when I spent several hours removing pretty much every leaf from my yard, only to have the winds come and deposit three times more leaves in my yard than when I started out yesterday morning. I thought, what an exercise in futility this was in frustration. But in these verses, Solomon acknowledged that in spite of the great knowledge and the wisdom that he possessed, again, more so than anyone in human history, he still could not figure out the real meaning of life under the sun apart from God. So Solomon searched for the meaning of life from one extreme to the other, from the extreme of intellectualism on the one hand, which we see in verse 13, it says, I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all the things which are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. In verse 17, I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that it is also a vexation of spirit, chasing after the wind. So he pursued it with intellectualism. He pursued it with madness and folly that we read here. In essence, the pursuit that he came to the conclusion was that the more you know, the more worries you have. The more you know, the more worries you have. And the more you know, the more pain you experience. Verse 18, for in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. There's an interesting phrase that appears here a couple of different times. Uh, Solomon talks about the idea of giving your heart. Or he says, I communed with my heart, verse 16. I communed with my own heart, saying, lo, I'm come to great estate. He said he spoke to himself his inner being, and he reasoned with himself. Verse 16, I have gotten more wisdom than all they that have come before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And so you think about that idea, I have given my heart over to this, I commune with my own heart. What have you given your heart to this morning? It's an interesting question. The answer to the question will ultimately define whether your life is full of meaninglessness Empty, empty pursuits, or if it's full of life-giving surrender to the one who created you. Under the sun, apart from divine revelation, human wisdom and knowledge lead to futility. Alexander McLaren, who was a Baptist lay preacher in the 1800s, said it this way. Men come and go. Leaders, teachers, thinkers speak and work for a season and then fall silent and impotent. He abides. God abides. They die, but he lives. There are lights kindled and therefore sooner or later quenched, but he is the true light from which they draw all their brightness, and he shines forevermore. You know, the older I get, the weight of the truth that Solomon shares here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 
gets heavier and heavier. Many of you know part of my story. I graduated from college way back in the 1900s. <laughs> and I moved to the Cleveland area shortly after graduation and took a job with the phone company. And uh, I was a young man, 22 years old, and uh, setting out to conquer the world. For some reason, I was hired by Ohio Bell Ameritech into a program that was called the College Management Program. And um, I didn't have the best of grades in college. In fact, uh, my kids, praise the Lord, have had much better grades than, than I did. They were much more serious students than I was. And, but I was hired into this position, and it was designed to train those that they felt had potential to be the future executives of the company. And so they moved you around every year or so to a different position, different place in the company to learn more of the business, more of the scope of the business. And I had undeserved grace, grace in that job. I was put in positions I didn't deserve, that I didn't have the skill for, or really the ability for, but I was put in them to, to number one, to see if I could sink or swim, if I would sink or swim, and to uh, learn and to grow. And so I began to pursue my career through the phone company. And uh, multiple times I was moved around and elevated and, again, put in jobs that I just thought were way above me. At the same time, Chris and I, as we got married, we came to Columbia Road Baptist Church. Having intended to visit many churches, this is the only church we ever came to, and we knew almost instantly that this is where God would have us to be. That was 35 years ago, next summer. And um, I sat under the preaching of Pastor Jenkins, other good men and women in this church that are still here serving God, and I began to grow. And I began to, to come across this struggle. Is life about what I want and my pursuits and my desires and climbing the corporate ladder and gathering all these things together? And can I tell you, that's very intoxicating, especially for a young man. And, um, and trying to balance with, I want to serve the Lord with my life. And so I soon found that uh, I was on a collision path with some key decisions that needed to be made. Was life living about myself, pursuing what I wanted, or was it living for the Lord? And the Lord made it very clear as he brought me to a couple of situations in my career where I had to make some decisions about what choices I would make. Would I choose to make a decision that benefited myself, or would I stand for the Lord? One in particular, I remember the third job that I entered in, Chris and I had just been married for a couple months, and I found myself being asked to do something that I felt was highly immoral and wrong. And um, I remember coming home to Chris and sharing with her what it was, and I said, I may have to quit tomorrow. Are you okay if I do that? And um, by this time, I was, after three years in the company, I was pretty well entrenched. I, had a, I was, at that point, already making more than I ever had dreamed I would make. And uh, she said, if you feel strongly about it, I'm all for it. God will give you another job. Just like she testified what happened to her 30 years later. And uh, so I went in and I said, this is wrong. 
and here is my pass. If, uh, if you're going to demand I do this, then today would be my last day at the phone company. I went to my boss's boss and had that conversation. And um, he, uh, he knew I was serious. He said, hold on. Let's find a better way to do this. And, but it was a test. Would I look the other way? Would I pretend, hey, this is just business, no big deal, people do these things all the time, or would I stand for what's right? And I chose to stand for what's right. Wasn't long after that when uh, I found that uh, I moved to a job that, uh, that required certain levels of performance to be reported to the Public Utilities Commission, how quickly you answered the phone, how quickly uh, you got problems resolved. I was in a repair center, installation center, and um, you were expected to bring those numbers in. And it was pretty easy to cook the book, so to speak, on those numbers. You could stop the clock from counting. And, um, and that was kind of the, the status quo of how things went. People met their numbers because they faked them and reported improper numbers to commissions and so forth. And, and uh, so I, by this time, I was several levels up. I had responsibility for a pretty large organization. And we weren't making the numbers because I told our people we're not going to do that. Uh, the numbers are what they are. And if we need more people to do the job, then we need to let the numbers prove that we don't have enough people to repair things quick enough or answer phones quick enough. And so I just I told my bosses that we're not going to do that. And uh, again, it was a test. Am I going to do what everyone else has done to try and protect myself and to keep um, progressing? Or am I going to do the right thing. And so Solomon had these choices, and he, began, he continued, as you saw, to pursue things that ultimately led to meaningless and joy. And I do believe the Lord led me to these situations partly as tests. Would I stand for him when I felt like I was the only one standing? And one other, things I, one other thing I remember, and I think this maybe was the turning point or maybe the critical point that at the time seemed pretty insignificant to me, but... Uh, Back in those days of the phone company, you went to a lot of training classes. So I went to a management training class one time, and it was a touchy-feely class, and I hate touchy-feely classes. And one of the things, and I can't even remember the exact assignment, what they were trying to accomplish, but one of the things you had to do was get up and, and basically answer the question that we're looking at this morning. Why, why are you here? What is your purpose for being here? And they're wanting us as managers to be in touch with that. And I was probably 25, 26 years old at the time. And um, some of the answers I, I was hearing from people who were much older than I were were just pathetic, for lack of a better way of saying it. One guy got up and was talking about how he lived to make sure he had the best lawn in the neighborhood. I kid you not. And all the things he did so that his, his lawn was the prettiest, well-kept, pristine, weed-free, leaf-free lawn out there. And uh, I thought, how sad that that's your purpose in life. How meaningless is that? Then it came my turn, and I'm struggling with what I'm going to say, although I knew what I needed to say. And this was a pretty risky thing for someone who was trying to advance, you know, struggling with the idea of saying the right things, doing the right things, being politically correct to advance your, your, your career. And I got up in front of all my peers in this class and I said, the reason I am here on earth is because God has put me here to glorify him. 
And to me, that sounds like such a simple thing, but that was a very profound thing and a very needful thing for me to say at that point in my life. Life is not about me pursuing what I want, trying to get what I want, what I think I deserve, trying to make a name for myself. My life is about glorifying my creator. And um, that simple step of faithfulness and obedience and acknowledgement kind of like took the blinders off of my eyes, began to put me on a path of ever-continued growing in my relationship with the Lord, and ultimately put me at a place of surrender where I could much more easily stand up and do what the Lord wanted me to do. There are other times when the pathway and the career that I was in was to, it was not Cleveland, the center of our university was Chicago. And the only way to really advance beyond where I was was to transfer and um, show that you were mobile. But as I prayed about that, God said, I want you here. This is your home. This is, where I, this is what I have for you. And so then I had to make that unpopular decision of saying, I'm not willing to transfer. This is where God wants me to be, and that's where I'm going to stay. And so I say all these things. I'm not trying to, to elevate myself in any way. I'm just trying to say, here's how God worked with me to come to grips with purpose in life that Solomon struggled with and pursued all these other things that ultimately led to such heartache and desperation. So what are you spending your life on this morning? What are you pursuing? What are you investing in? Have you found the answer to life's most important question? Are you searching and searching much like Solomon did thousands of years ago for this? Well, the answer is not difficult. Again, many of you voiced it when I asked the question at the very beginning. It's not difficult. It's not even really all that profound. It's simply found in being rightly related to your creator. Being rightly related to your creator and living that relationship out on a day-to-day basis. You see, the one thing, the only thing, the only one who can give true and lasting satisfaction in this life is Jesus Christ. Our creator, God created life, therefore the only one who really knows what life should be like and how we should live it is him. How will we answer that question? A couple applications as I wrap things up. Number one, purpose to glorify your creator with your life. Purpose to glorify your creator with your life. Again, you've heard me say this verse, the Lord, it wasn't by happenstance that the Lord made that such a profound moment in my life when I stood up in a secular setting and said, my purpose is to glorify my creator. That became somewhat of a theme that the Lord put in my life because the Bible makes it very clear. Isaiah 43, 7, the word of God says, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yea, I have made him. Why are you here this morning? That's a question that many people have struggled with. Over the ages, Solomon struggled with it. The Bible is so clear. I am created for his glory. If you are called by his name, meaning you have been born again into the family of God, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You were created for his glory. That is my purpose in life. Is it yours? You say, well, how do I do that? If I'm here to glorify the Lord, how do I do that? How do I glorify my my creator? Well, Simply put, by becoming more like Jesus Christ. 
By becoming like Jesus. You'll say, well, how do I do that? Again, these are logical questions. Sometimes we just gloss over and make things sound so simple. Like I said earlier, first of all, you have to be one of his. And then by making it my aim to please him in all things. By, making, by operating the way that God intended us to operate as creator. By embracing his commandments. Not as a, a burdensome list of rules to keep in, in order to try to somehow earn God's favor or God's blessing. No, but as a means to simply express my profound love and my profound gratitude for all that God has done for me. If you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15 says. So this morning, are you called by his name? Are you one of his? Have you been reconciled to him through the the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Are you a Christian? Not just a title, but a true name identifying a true relationship with the God of the universe. Apart from that relationship, the reality is that life will always seem empty and meaningless, a grasping after the wind. But with Christ, there is great joy, there's great satisfaction, there's great peace, and there's great meaning. Purpose to glorify your creator with your life. Secondly, invest your life in that which is eternal. Invest your life in that which is eternal. Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21 says this, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Invest your life in that which is eternal. Jim Elliott graduated from Wheaton College, and he headed to the jungles of Ecuador in an effort to reach the people of the Alka Wadanani tribe. At the age of 22, he penned the famous words in his journal. And there's a copy of his journal as written by Jim Elliott here. And he said these words, He is no fool which gives that he gives which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Just a few years later, on January 8th, 1956, while attempting to make contact with the people that he desperately wanted to share Jesus with, Jim and four of the fellow missionaries that were with him were speared to death, killed by the very people that he gave his life ultimately to reach, people that he had gone to minister to. Mark 8.36 says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There are two races that you can run in this life. One is temporal, one is eternal. There are two investment portfolios you can pursue, one temporal, one eternal. Put your greater emphasis on that which is eternal. One day, everything else is going to be gone, except for the treasure that you lay up in heaven. There really are only a couple of things that are eternal. Our Lord is eternal. His word is eternal. And the souls of human beings are eternal. 10,000 years from now, these things will still matter. Everything else will be gone. Jim Elliott, was it a life that was wasted all too young? No. His efforts were not in vain. It's my understanding that every one of those men who were present when Jim Elliott was killed, along with those other missionaries some 70 years ago, were all reached with the gospel and came to know the Lord as their Savior. And not only them, but that tribe that those men were from uh, were also reached. 
What an investment Jim Elliott made. What are you investing in this morning? Maybe I should say, who are you investing in this morning? Invest your life in that which is eternal. Finally, set your mind on things above the sun. Set your mind on things above the sun. Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those, thing, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things in the earth. The psychologist says, look within. The opportunist says, look around. The optimist says, look ahead. The pessimist says, look out. God says, look up. We are to set our affection on things above the sun. How do we do this? How do we set our affection on things above the sun? Well, in order to do this, we must read, meditate, study, memorize Scripture, become people of the book. Like I said earlier, this is, this is my counseling book. This is the, the book that has the answers. This is a living, breathing book. It is the very words of God. It's not something that was just good to the people it was written thousands of years ago. It is as ever much alive and helpful as it is today. Set your mind on things above the sun. Get into God's word. Live it. Attend church. Listen to uplifting music. Read things that turn your heart toward God. Serve others. Take the focus off of yourself and what you're trying to accomplish and say, how can I be a blessing to others? Is that not the example of Christ? Again, you've heard me say it. Jesus came not to be ministered unto, um, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So serve others and embrace God's mission that he gave to each one of us to evangelize and to disciple the nations. Set your mind on things above the sun. Apart from God, our lives are indeed vacant and void of meaning. But through a relationship with Jesus Christ, we can discover our true purpose, our true identity. Jesus put it this way in his, in his famous Sermon on the Mount message. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. As Solomon finished this book, again, after he details all these pursuits that he gave himself to, and we'll look at more of them this evening in chapter 2, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Let me ask you to bow your head, every head bowed, every eye closed. Stand to your feet if you are able. Do you know the answer to the question? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Maybe you've pursued some of the things that Solomon pursued or that I wrestled with pursuing, only to find out that, yes, they truly are meaningless. I may have a bigger house, a bigger car, a better job. My lawn may be perfect, but I'm still empty. There's got to be more than this. There has to be more. If that's you this morning, would you stop looking under the sun and start looking above the sun for the answers to life's most important question? All this can be found in the Lord alone. Father, we love you. Whatever you're trying to accomplish in each of our lives during this time of invitation, Lord, may we just simply say, yes, Lord. May your will be accomplished. May we make decisions 
maybe for the first time to accept the free gift of salvation and come into a right relationship with the Lord. Or may we abandon our own pursuits to do things the way you created us to do. Father, may you accomplish your purpose now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Heads still bowed, eyes still closed as I turn things over to Pastor Bill. we invite you to act on what it is that the Lord has spoken to you about. If you don't know Christ as Savior, in just a moment we're going to sing, this is the time to slip out of your seat and come and let me know and say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not 100% sure that heaven's my home. Someone will take a Bible, take you aside separately, privately, a gentleman with a gentleman, a lady with a lady, and show you how you can know for sure that you're saved. Maybe it's an issue of surrender. Maybe things have gotten muddled as to what you're living for. Whatever it is, let's say yes to the Lord, shall we? Father, bless this time, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hymn 500, Pass Me Not Away.